Joe Hearn, writer, director, Morvan Christie and Richard Rankin. I almost feel as if we still have a little group hug, actually. <laughs> after, after Are that you end. Okay? Yeah, and that's, just, that's the second time I've seen it. I still kind of took the breath away at the end. Mm. Joe, I suppose the, the, a good place to start is by asking you exactly where the, kind of, the, the, the seed for this idea came from. Because, it's, you know, at one point we're, we're dealing with a psychological thriller and by the end we're potentially into murder mystery territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that woman over there, uh, Nicole, the, uh, uh, my producer and um, long-time friend, we uh, talked about a lot of ideas over the last kind of 20 or so years and we kind of tend to just uh, have lunch and talk about what's going on in our lives and because her life is more interesting than mine, I usually steal stuff that's going on in her life. So I think it was two or three years ago she was um, doing a job where she was going to be the maternity leave replacement for some boss in some company without going into too many confidential details about it. There were some delicious aspects to that situation that I just thought, oh, that's a drama. And uh, we first started talking about it as, you know, um, what it'd be like going into that situation and taking over, but then it pretty soon seemed obvious that the best way to do it was from the point of view of the person who's being replaced, because that's where you get all the kind of the paranoia and the anxiety. So the seed of it really was, was that, and then the fact that I, you know, love suspense films and Hitchcock films and you know like no. filming people in big close up looking at stuff really well, we could see those Hitchcock yeah. touches right from the opening credits for sure I'm going to take it up does that feel like a bit of an indulgence in your part John? total indulgence yeah. yeah no one wants to do it except <laughs> me but force it down their throats yeah writing it then given you you not only directed it but you, you, you wrote it I mean did you were you still drawing on a lot of those uh, influences round about you people who have maybe experienced that yourself because without wishing to get into kind of you know gender dynamics this isn't something that guys have to contend with really I mean at workplace anxiety, perhaps, yes. but the idea of being replaced when you go off on maternity leave. Yeah, it's very specific, but uh, I, I would say that's kind of um, the fact that it's around a pregnancy is probably the one gendered thing in it. Because I, 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 I generally do think, you know, I'm uh, obviously a man, I'm gay, I don't have kids, I have no interest in kids, and yet I'm endlessly fascinated by people who make completely different choices to me. So, in a way, I don't tend to. Um, I don't tend... There's this thing, this aphorism about writing that you should write what you know, which I think is bollocks. I think you should write what you don't know. I think you should... It's a bit like acting as well. You should go into other people and you should find stuff out and you should learn stuff. I mean, I can't think of anything more boring than sitting down and writing a story about a middle-aged gay man and his cats or whatever, you know, <laughs> situation. I think. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, make stuff up with a lot of my friends and people that I know. I mean, you know, a lot of people I know have gone through this, not just Nicole. I mean, I remember... You know, one of my uh, main kind of family stories was, you know, my mum used to talk about uh, picking up my eldest brother from nursery and she was working at Tesco's and the way her shift worked was that she was always just finishing just when the nursery was closing and she used to run from the nursery to where she was picking up the kid. She's always the last mother to pick the kid up and obviously was really raw for her because she was talking about it 20 or 30 years yeah. later. So there's all of that in, in this, like in the second or third part when the baby's around and there's that... Whatever choice you make, you're fucked, basically. Okay. That's, that's what it's that's a spoiler for us, then. The baby's Slash, around. Slash, the baby doesn't die. <laughs> Morvan, tell us about your reaction when you read that script for the first time. I mean, this is, like, on a really basic level, I just was like, oh, this is about two women, which you don't get very much. So I was, And I obviously knew that Vicky was already attached to play Paula, so I was kind of like, I'm so in. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it just I just really enjoyed the kind of subtleties of relationship all the way through it. So um, all the way through the first part, I mean, it, it sort of 
the the circumstances obviously put more pressure on them so the scenes get more intense as it goes through the second and third but there's just so much unsaid there's so much kind of it's so much about what each character is keeping in um, and that I think is just really rich territory for an actor um, and the idea of doing that toe to toe with Vicky was just like yeah really exciting I, I feel that as well there was a whole lot a lot of the tension was in the looks and the little asides and the, the, the kind of you know the ambiguity of a lot of what the, the, a lot of what the characters were saying to each other but you managed to you landed quite a few sweet lines, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mean, it, well, it, that's it, what happens when you, <laughs> you get the lead. I was like, the best part, actually, I think, it's not even a line. It's when I'm in that car at the end and he'd written that when, when Kay says it's all got a bit shitty and it says in the script she, she like, fist bumps the air. I was like, oh, my God, I love you. Because <laughs> it's just such a truthful thing. Um, and I think, I think also because it's set here and I was doing it in my own accent, which... Like it's so rare. Is that your accent? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, no, oh my shit. god! I've given it away. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think like there's a lot of that sort of um, like that quick wit and fast humour. Sort of like it just it, it works really well. I feel like that's what that's how Glaswegians diffuse things. A bit of banter. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Richard, I'm getting the impression, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that we maybe haven't seen all there is to see of your character yet. No, there's a, there's a whole other two episodes, Paul. Yeah, but yeah. There's, more, there's more to him than that. There is more to him than that. He's a smart guy. <laughs> Show his face, Joe's like... Isn't he? There's another two episodes, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah, he seems, at this stage, he seems to be, uh, you know, the, the, kind of, the, the loving, kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, devoted husband, but I'm, I'm guessing... Apart from the talking to his mother about her mental health that, thing, which but that is was pretty a, Perhaps out of a place of concern. Yeah. That was all out of love. I sense you're dodging what I'm, what I'm trying to ask you here. We're, you know, we're locked in here. There's no spoilers coming out of this room, but there's more to this, man. Am I right? I think Ian is um, reflecting back, and it's not something that really struck me at the time. I think he's a bit of an idealist, Ian. I think he knows how he wants things and how he wants them to be, and how he's going to like things. He loves his wife very much, comes to love his daughter, you know, very much. And um, echoing a bit about what Morvan's saying about the development of the relationships and subtleties of the relationships through it, I think, you know, that's a good vehicle to show a different side to um, how, you know, Morvan's character story unravels through the next two episodes and I think um, there's uh, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure put on that family unit and on their relationship Um, and I think it just tells a completely different side of the story and the effects that that's having on Morvan's character and them as a relationship so yeah, I mean things change there's a a huge dynamic to the story, a huge dynamic to the, the characters and the relationships and that's one of the great things about the script and the story that's how it changes and, and, and kind of evolves over the next two episodes. And, um, but it's quite a funny relationship as well. One of the things that's kind of weird about writing is you get a lot of notes and you get a lot of people agonising about making things clear and making sure that people understand the situation. And so you're asked, you're, you know, you're invited to you know, write a lot of that kind of stuff. And yet when you get two actors like that to do it, you realise you just don't need a lot of it. I mm. mean, there's a, the first scene which introduces... Um, uh, Richard's character when she comes home and gives him a kiss and whatever. It's literally twice the length, but you can see blatantly with the body language and what they're doing that you don't need that length. You know, you just need you know good actors to do it. I wonder, uh, Morvan, what what it was like because obviously you know Vicky is is uh, our character is she really kind of makes your teeth itch, doesn't she? I mean, <laughs> to to get to the point where where you and her were, were really having that kind of bristling uh, dynamic, and you've already alluded to the fact that there's more of that to come. 
did you need to do a little bit of work with her in order to get to that point, that place? We did like a week before we started shooting, which was just rehearsal, which was just sort of pulling the script apart and kind of going through all the scenes and um, bits of that were quite difficult. But ultimately, no, like it wasn't... Um, we both work in a really similar way, which is that um, we just kind of do a lot of prep at home, learn the lines back to front so that by the time we walk on set, it's like you, you literally don't have to think about it. And we pretty much, when we went to shoot anything, it was like we'd line run it, we'd do a, a sort of rehearsal and we'd be kind of holding back and then they'd just sort of go, right, OK, turn over, action, and we'd just pedal to the metal. So it, I think because she and I both have a kind of like... Uh, like it's about the inner life for both of us like a fascination with the inside of it um, and and we just really trusted each other so um, I, I, I just know as soon as action's called she's going to be rooted right inside that character and playing her as truthfully as possible so I never don't believe her and, and she would say the same thing so we didn't have to sort of do any like relationship work together to try and create that tension it's just she absolutely hated each other we, we did we had a really <laughs> shit <laughs> I killed her um, <laughs> uh, yeah and I think I think the other part of it actually was that um, was precisely what they're being sarcastic about now is that we were sort of like this little du- this little twosome this little team intolerable um, intolerable <laughs> I mean cackling sick, and you know <laughs> singing stupid songs and like we just we just got along really really well and that meant that I think if there'd been any tension between us while we were shooting it, it would have been really difficult to, to do that to stuff. To add that tension, of course. Yeah, yeah. because it, it, having a kind of really like hilariously fun relationship with each other meant that that was that was play. Yeah. Um, and as soon as cut was called, we kind of went, "Whoa, fuck that heart, Jesus!" Right? Okay. <laughs> and then went off to the green room and you know had a cup of tea and a fag and laughed about the Dirty Dancing soundtrack or something. Do you know, it just. It was just kind of too... I wish I should be quite generous, though, because there was a fair amount of work done on the scripts in the few months even before we did that week rehearsal. Yeah, Because I would meet true. both of them individually. And the thing is, with those tense scenes when they're sort of in direct opposition to each other, they're quite, um, they're quite difficult to get the tone right because if... You know, I think what they've done is really is really quite subtle, although they're absolutely in opposition. And you can get kind of get one line wrong, and the tendency to write it is again to overwrite that stuff and to put insults in and whatever. And that's what the two of them separately together would take out, or you'd change a line or whatever. So what you're seeing there is not by any stretch of magic exactly what I wrote. I mean, there were lots of lines changed and not, not kind of watered down, but just made more truthful. You know, mm. uh, where someone would change a line and then that would affect what the other person how would react. So it was it was, it was very organic. Hmm. No, there was a lot. But I think it, that's a really good point because basically all the work was done before we got on the set. I think apart from like maybe a couple of scenes, but they were more, they were less just me and Vicky two-hander scenes. I think it was more like other ones. But um, all of the work was kind of done way before we stepped on the set. And so by the time we did, it was just like, it's got work, you know. Okay. Not only did you get to use your own accent, I know, uh, but you managed to, uh, you know, I'd imagine roll out your bed and just stumble into work like this. I know, it was, was no, heaven. No I being loved in it. London, no flying around the world. Uh, um, did, does something like that? Does that make a difference when you when you're filming and you're on, on your own turf? I have to say, it was just a gift. Like, not just like even just the basic thing of there only being 15 minutes between my bed and and like unit base <laughs> that was amazing but but it was more than that it was it was kind of um 
like there's something about it's going to be quite hard to articulate but I think like there's something about the way that I work that um that meant that being able to come home to my own space not like one that I've kind of borrowed for a few months whatever was like really helped me with the work like Mm -hmm. it just I just felt a lot more secure I think in it um but also to have a, a Scottish crew, to have just Glaswegian people all around, like the energy is different. It's a light, you know, there's just a, a lifted kind of energy on the set, which is really amazing and feeds the work brilliantly because it keeps the momentum up. It means that everyone's energised all the time. I don't think there was ever a day where people were like, oh God, you know. And actually, I, I make a joke about it, but you, you go through days on set in London where it's like nobody wants to be there, you know, and, and that can't help but trickle in to the mm. work mm-hmm. um, but also it's just a beautiful city and I love it and so to be able to kind of cruise around it with a crew um, filming it and Vicky who fell madly in love with it was just was like check out my town man well, I mean, there were it parts, was lovely I, 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 I've lived here for 20 odd years myself and there were parts where I'm going I don't even recognise that it looks so beautiful yeah. right it's there, so there beautiful there were some pretty amazing moments Richard were you, uh, did, you, did you feel it was easier to work at home well he doesn't live here you know that right oh, yeah, but he's good so you keep saying I'm big Glasgow alright this is my home no I uh, I love working in Glasgow it's, um, it was a real treat to have done you know I've spent 7, 8 weeks or whatever it was up here filming and um much the same as as, uh, as Marvin. Uh, whenever I do come back home to Glasgow, whenever I step off the train, I just I always miss it. I always miss it, and I'm always glad to be back. You were really sad to leave at the end, weren't you? You were really struggling. I was really struggling. Yeah. No, I do. It's um, it's, it's it's great. It's um, it is, it's a lot lighter. It's a lot. I don't want to say it's a lot friendly. I don't want to offend those people who give us work down in London, Marvin. There, <laughs> but, there um, is a there is a warmth. Here though, there that is. I think, that and it's you know, I mean, it's, it's on set. It's just, it's the banter that you get with a Glasgow crew and, and constantly taking a piss out of each other, you know, for hours every day. It's just, it was just good fun. It was just really good fun being, uh, you know, yeah. you know, filming in Glasgow, and, it, and, it, and it's quite rare as well. Do you understand what they're saying? No, so? I did. White noise. The, 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 the idea that, that Glasgow is um, it, it's not by accident I mean Glasgow's not just there in the background Glasgow seems quite present and that's not just because like you say you're using your own accents and people, those of us who recognise Glasgow can see Glasgow uh, but there, it's full of largely speaking it's, it's mainly a Scottish cast that are involved and quite often when you have these big network TV dramas quite often they can be set in Scotland and sometimes there aren't really that many Scottish voices at all. Was that yes, a, a, we've a, seen a few of those, was that, was we? That a, you know, was that, was that a consideration? We tried to get English actors, but none of them would do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seemed so strange to me that you'd do something in a city and try not to make it a bit specific. It wasn't written specific, specifically for anywhere. It could have been London, it, it could have been anywhere. And um, the chance of doing it up in Scotland came up, and obviously you've got Edinburgh, Glasgow, and various other people. Uh, I knew Glasgow a bit, because I've got a friend up here and I've done one of my first short films up here so you've got two friends now I've got two friends well three if you can and so there's, there's like a you know, the city of architecture stuff and the fact that we want to do about architects um, it just kind of made sense because there's a lot of beautiful buildings here so it was it was it was, it was pretty easy and you know there was the conversation about oh you know it's Glasgow it's a big city we don't it does it matter if there are Scotch cast or not very quickly you think now it's 
it's much more it's much better when things are specific to the area of shopping mm. I think. I've got so much respect for you guys for that because I remember talking to you and Nicole about it in that conversation about okay well if we're going to shoot it in Glasgow let's go away and really spend time thinking about how we're going to make this really specific to this place because I don't feel like people do that and I yeah I just feel like that like massive respect for that it's also the actors as well I mean I, I hadn't worked in uh, kind of more than mentioned before but you don't you already hear her on the phone very briefly in this but um Ian's mother is played by Siobhan Redmond mm-hmm. who's uh, I haven't worked with her for like 20 years it was a short film I've always wanted to work with him again so it's fantastic to be able to you know work again with people like that okay um I think that would be a good time to maybe throw the uh, throw us to the wolves. Yeah, throw you out there. Um, I'm struggling to see people, but let's let's try anyway. I understand yeah, we were intending to have a roving yeah, mic tonight, but we no longer do. So uh, it's big, loud voices this evening. Anyone have some questions? I'm just curious to know how it came to be filmed in Glasgow. Was that quite a controversial decision? No, it was. It was completely. Uh, the, the city was really anonymous. You know, in the, the, the first draft, and once you get the, the green light or the semi green light, that discussion comes up. And um, Scotland was mooted, and I said, you know, great. I mean, I've, I've not filmed in London, although I'm London-based. I've not filmed in London for like over ten years. I mean, everything's even if you're filming stuff that's set in London, you don't often film it in London anymore because it's so slow to get around and it's so expensive. Mm. So, you know, most of my shows they've been filmed in Liverpool, Manchester, you know, whatever. So it wasn't um, it, it, it wasn't really a big ask. If they said Cardiff, that would be different. I think it's important as well to point out that when I met Joel <coughs> before. Uh, we watched uh, the replacement. He was drinking Iron Brew, so clearly the place has <laughs> made uh, got a bottle of Iron Brew stashed up there. So he's fallen hook like and sink and hook line and sinker for this place. <laughs> Anyone else? Interested to know how, how much did the story develop once you selected once the actors and actresses had come together? Did you modify did you look at the script and everything with that person in mind and changing it? This one didn't change massively, it changed a bit. Two and three changed quite a bit. What happens often in television, they, you know, they spend a lot of time working on the first episode and then say, great, let's make it. And then you write two and three or four and five, however many it is, and then you get a lot of questions about that, kind of about where the story goes. Obviously, you've got an idea where the story goes because they wouldn't, they wouldn't decide to make it otherwise. So in episodes two and three, there were quite a lot of structural changes um, in terms of what happened in the story and the order and so on. But in terms of how the actors change it, that's more to do with... Um, yeah, I mean, there were some fairly big scenes that changed. It's not just the odd bit of dialogue or whatever. Sometimes you'll meet an actor or an actress and they'll say, well, I just don't believe that. So you've got to find a better way of persuading them that that is believable or you change it. And, and it, to be honest, it's probably it's usually easier and better to change it. Um, this was a slightly unusual situation because normally the scripts are all... Com- well, my scripts are always usually completely finished before the first day of pre-production, but on this one, episodes two and three were still a bit in flux, which puts a little bit more pressure on people like Morwood and Vicky because, you know, the dialogue's changing and whatever, and they've got a bit less of a chance to have the whole thing in their head when they're doing it. Um, but, yeah, it changes it, it changes quite a bit between kind of the first draft and, and, and what you see there. Well, we're quite privileged to have um, a decent rehearsal period beforehand, weren't we? Where yeah. we got to go through pretty much... You know all the material and decide what we thought was going to work or what you know would you know suggest changes that might make it more truthful or more honest to us. And Joe was very accommodating. The rehearsals when you find out, out things like that because what happens is you get, you can honestly go for about a year or two years fucking around with the script with exec, not the lovely executives or whatever. You give you notes, and you change things, you change things, and then you get into the rehearsal room and within ten minutes 
an actor has found a huge plot hole or a huge problem because they're inhabiting it in a different way than anybody else. Everyone else is looking at it from the outside and checking the plot works and that you believe it, but they have to get right inside it. So they know more or less straight away whether something's not working. But it's really weird. It happens on every show. You know, that however much work you spend on it with all you know, the great producers and whatever and people that we try and make it better, it's only when you get into rehearsal that you really find out a lot of the stuff that doesn't work. Anyone else? How, how do you feel about the finished product? That's my future. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's for you. You're the filmmaker. Well, uh, it's very much how I imagined it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's quite it's quite close to what I wrote. It's always a bit better because you can never you can never really see how it's going to be until an actor's done it. And the thing that I really like is when an actor does something that is not what you expected, but you kind of recognise it. So you may have written the line or the scene or whatever. And then they perform it, and they think, "Oh, I had no idea it meant that." That's obviously what it means, you know. And that's that's the best thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there were one or two moments actually where the the, the line. Uh, I think there was a line, in particular Morven, that, that you sold, where you know, you need to stop doing that. Uh, Neve said oh, to yeah. Vicky, and you said you really do, and that you know, it brought a laugh out of the room. And I thought that's a line that actually, if you could d- deliver that line so many different ways, but you totally. There, there's another one as well. There's um, in the office with Richard where um, he says oh you know I had a phone call from Paula um, she's worried about you know blah 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 and the line is I'm going to have to fucking kill her yeah and um, and I loved that line so much that by the time it came to the day of saying it it was the same the one you are talking about I was like oh god I've, I've like overdone it already in my head and I don't know how to do it now well of course and that's the thing I've had the benefit from my second uh, viewing because I watched this the other night and that line really didn't kind of you know, mm. land with me particularly, mm. and then watching it tonight, I'm like, oh, ah, <laughs> I see what she's doing now. Yeah. Uh, there was one more hand up. Yes. Morgan, you um, said you had a bit of an air punch moment when you received a script that was about two women. Um, did you, obviously, we've just seen the first episode, but did you have any doubts about the kind of structure of this, about doing a story like this? Did it. You know that, that it could be seen as anti-women in any way, or that, you know to put such a spotlight on on professional rivalry and motherhood and so on. Did you have any plans for that? I don't think professional rivalry is is a is a women's issue. Um, uh, there there was a, so when I read the script, no, I had no issue with it. When I read a press release that was kicking around from from when the piece was commissioned or something, it said something about. I think it's still kicking around actually. Uh, this is a story about the darker side of working women, and I went, "Oh, wait, fuck! I'm not doing that." <laughs> but, but. Yeah, and you just go like, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And and it like it made me not want to do the piece, but um, but I read the scripts, so um. You know, it's not... um, This isn't a story about witches and, like, you know, I don't think... While these two women have uh, opposing viewpoints on this particular issue, um, which is a very real issue in women's lives, um, I kind of... Shouldn't we be telling stories about that? I mean, shouldn't we be telling women's stories just as much as we're telling men's stories? I think we're the only place where I kind of resist is when I get into like public situations and talking about the work and people go well tell me your opinion about motherhood tell me your opinion about and then I go well actually no that's that's where the the irony sort of comes in is that you make this piece which is actually 
quite unselfconsciously telling a really important story and exploring a really important issue um, about the way that women are sort of shoeboxed and pigeonholed. Um, and then you sit down to do sort of interviews about it and press about it and they go, where do you stand? What <laughs> box can I put you in? So, um, but yeah, I, I, um, I think we should be telling difficult stories, difficult women's stories. I think that um, we should be seeing more... Um, flawed women on television uh, I think we have to be yeah I just I, I, I think that's that's kind of my MO so yeah. I suppose in some ways as well Joe that you know everyone who goes to work of a day uh, leaves themselves open to feeling potentially a, a sense of kind of workplace anxiety or you don't anyone can feel that they're about to be replaced you know and they can feel the threat from within whether regardless of your gender really I think so. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm from the freelance community, so you know, yeah. I'm unemployed every six months, you know, or every month, and I have to make the case every time. You know, there's no, there's no job that just comes through my notebook saying, okay, now you do this, and you see younger people coming up all the time, more personable people. I mean, you know, the stuff I, de- I identify with is just, you know, looking around and seeing people. That one seems to be able to do my job at least as good as I can do. That one's obviously gets on a better in a crowd than I do. That one's more articulate, that one's more... You know, so it's as much about that as yeah. it is about having a baby. And I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the place where this, is, where this is gendered, if you like, and, you know, you can't relate to so much to men's experience, is that, you know, one of them is having a baby and they both got strong views about how they think that should affect their life. And that's, mm. that's all, really. It's about these two very specific women. It's not trying to say all women are like this or like that or, no. there, are, or, or there are extremes or whatever. You've got one character who... Has, I mean, there's a line in it, I think, in the next episode where, um, you know, it's kicking off and it's all getting a bit nasty and, um, you know, uh, Ellen says to her husband, you know, you and the baby are the most important things in my world, but you are not the whole world. And that's sort of what, what that's, that sort of encapsulates a lot of it about, you know, there's a lot of pressure about, well, how much of your world is it allowed to be or not be before you get, you know, kind of criticised. You have people like Obama saying recently that his daughters were um, his greatest achievement, mm-hmm. you know, and you had Beyonce saying the same thing like a year ago. Beyonce got completely killed for it. Obama said, oh, how wonderful. You know? yeah. That's the kind of double standard. I think that's really it's really interesting as well, because I think for me, what this story's about more than that specific issue is more about like identity and, and these sort of cliffs you reach in your life where, where your identity is changing or, or the way that you define yourself is changing. And... And how destabilizing that is, and this is just—I think that particular period in 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 this story, that particular period in that character's life, is happening because she is shifting from being totally career focused to to being somebody that's going to have to juggle and balance and do all that stuff. Um, and and I think that the the workplace competition part of it. Is, is only interesting to me on a character level because of the way that it's affecting her own feelings about her identity. I think that's exactly it's tapping right. Tapping into like... You could easily do it, but there have been lots of stories where, you know, one woman comes into another woman's space and you've got Devil Wears Prada and you've got work. It's not that, you know. It's not no. like a, a pure workplace drama. It's exactly about that identity issue that Paula comes along at just the point where you're most vulnerable. You know? Exactly. And it's also... I wouldn't say a comedy of errors, but there's a lot of random escalation. I mean, if if you if, if the character hadn't gone to the construction site towards the end of that and fallen over, they might have been fine. You yeah, know, that just yeah. sends the story down. But there, there were those moments where you know she was the inappropriate bump touch, and and those things were those oh. were those were those lifted from anecdotal <laughs> experience. No, that was. A, I mean, I think 
Vicky actually observed that I had something kind of slightly different, and it you know it depends who you talk to. So like some people say, "My God, that's incredibly invasive and terrible." And I think it's it's incredibly invasive and terrible in the context of the drama as it is, when you know that's not what she wants, and yeah. she's just being a bit slightly slightly invasive. It's not you know a lot of the stuff that Paula does is not so terrible, really. It's because we're experiencing the story through Ellen's eyes, therefore we're seeing her as Ellen sees her. I mean, I was very you know when the first script. When it, was, when it was going out, a lot of people were much... I was quite surprised, were quite sort of evenly balanced between, you know, well, who's the bad guy here? You know, why does Ellen have such a big problem? Of course, you see it once it's filmed, because it's the film language that gives you a lot of that, as, mm. you know, as, as well as the performance. And I was surprised, too. It's not interesting to me if you have two characters where one is completely great and the other is the villain. You know, you've yeah. obviously the Paula character is the antagonist, but when you see her in their, in their first big argument, you know, Paula's saying, you know, what's happening to you right now is a, is a million times more meaningful than where the building gets a skylight. That is both outrageous and, and on true. some level true. Yeah. And that's, yeah. You have to have both. You know, they both have to have really good arguments and to, you know, to be right in their, in their own worlds. So that's what's interesting when you get those sort of things clashed against each other. Yes. Um, one for Joe. Um, I was just wondering, there was a hint of a doctor-patient relationship issue. Uh, I was wondering if that was something that was going to be explored. Yes, indeed. Stay tuned. <laughs> He I didn't was, do anything naughty, but I mean, you know, they were they were completely not do- they were completely not doctor patient, you know, when when that happened. But it's still, you know, well, you'll see how it plays out. Asking as a doctor. I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go well. I knew we there was more to your character, Lincoln. I knew it. Did you? I mean, I, I get that there's a, 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 a hint of uh, underlying mental health issues, perhaps, about uh, mayors, or you know, been been suggested at any rate. Did you have to research that in any way to, to handle it? Yeah, know, we had you know, psychologists and psychiatrists looking at it and making sure that we kind of got that right. I mean, the, the point of the mental health issue in this is, is really that you know, well, I think it's stated by a character whose mum died and got depressed and got treatment for it, and that sort of starts to follow her around when she's making accusations against other people and when she's starting to kind of feel a bit paranoid there's this thing that it's, um, it's a bit of a burden once you've, I think as Paula says in the scene once you've got on that, that on your record you really are screwed mm. you know, Paula says that she almost had a breakdown you know, when she had her child because she was, couldn't get it to work and so she's projecting a lot of that onto Ellen as well you know, um, and this poor guy's in the middle I suppose I think we've got time for maybe I think there's just okay, one more I question I'll put it back yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, when you came to, when you came to write this, were you writing it knowing it was going to be a TV series, a three-part series, or was it a script that you would, could have gone either way? Uh, we, all, we always knew it was going to be a TV thing. Um, one-offs are like, I have done one-offs, but they're really incredibly hard to do. Um, and three hours is quite good, because three hours is like, if this was a movie... This would be like the end of the first act, you know, something bad's happened, and then you kind of see, see the There was a lot of discussion when you're developing stuff. The pressure on telly is um, the business model for TV is to try and get as many episodes as you can and get as many series as you can. So it's a little bit more difficult to sell short, contained things. I, I tend to prefer them because I don't want to necessarily see. I mean, I love Mad Men, but I don't really want to sit down to 100 hours of a story. I don't know how many stories really need 100 hours, or even 20 hours, or even 10 hours to sell. You know, three, four, five, six hours. I think it's fine. And so we did, we did discuss, you know, my agent at the time, or our agent at the time, you know, was begging us, you know, he said, if you could make this a returnable series, you know, 
I could sell it tomorrow. I said, well, we're the best one in the world. <laughs> How are you going to bring How it How do you carry do this that? on for a well, series? Well, you could try. <laughs> I mean, you could try. Too. That was one of the questions yesterday. Just How many other people have been through that skylight between now and the <laughs> exactly. end of episode three? Exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you very much to all of you, Richard, Morvan and Joe. And Thank thanks you. to you. Uh, Joe, tell us very quickly so that everyone can tell their friends. Transmission details? I don't know. They won't oh, tell us. Probably the end of February. End of February. Okay. Great. Thanks very much, folks. Thanks, folks.